Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. My guest today is Michelle Swartz. She's a widowed mom of five living in Calgary, Alberta. Michelle was born in Ontario, Canada, and moved to Alberta when she was 13. Michelle studied professional cooking and worked in catering for many years. She then changed careers and went into banking. Michelle married her husband, Anthony, in 2008 and started their family. Michelle became a widow in 2019 when her husband died by suicide. Michelle is the co-host of the I Did Not Sign Up For This podcast, and I'm honored to have her as my guest. And without further ado, I'd love for you to welcome my guest, Michelle. Hello. (laughs) Hello, and thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come and share your story with us. Of course. I'm always happy to to share. Well, it's, I think it's important. And as I always say, sharing our story helps us lighten our burden, but more than that, it helps others know that they're not alone. Absolutely. And that's really kind of where we want to go. But um, I really like to let my guests divulge their story in the way that's most comfortable for them. And, um, you are a busy mom. <laughs> With, I'm, I'm sorry, I have no other way to say it other than a lot of children. A lot of children, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly believe with two, I have a lot of children. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's that's definitely more than me. But uh, I, I think start where you want to start because I think that's most pertinent for you. Okay. Um, I will say, I always say this to people because they're like, oh, you have five, like I have nothing to complain about. And I always say, even having one is hard. Like there's, it's not an easy job, no matter how many you have. Um, it's, there's always challenges that come with, with raising children. So it's, uh, we're all kind of in it together, right? So they don't come with a manual. You're they absolutely do not. Correct. They do not. And mine are, my oldest is 13 and my youngest, I have twins and they're six. And, you know, the teenager every day, there's something new. There's something, some drama going on. And same with the six-year-olds, right? It's just like, yeah. as soon as I have one figured out, the other ones are, there's some drama going on. So it's just ongoing. <laughs> Well, and in a way, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, I'm in a position in my life now where I'm a grandmother. Mm-hmm. Okay? And as grandma, um, I have one that's 16 driving mm-hmm. and one that's 28. Okay. One that's 13, one just turned nine, and the youngest just literally just turned six. Okay. So I totally get what you're, yeah. where you're coming from. Yes. The drama. Mm. As much as it's all drama, it's all different. It is, yeah. It is. Age is different for sure. <laughs> it is, and yeah, it, it definitely keeps me on my toes, but uh, I'm very thankful for them for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just give you kind of a little synopsis of the beginning and then go from there. Sounds um, good. I was actually born and raised in Ontario in Sarnia, um, had a pretty typical childhood. And uh, my dad was transferred to Calgary for work. He worked um, in the oil field, in the oil industry and uh, oil and gas and in HR. And uh, so then we all moved here. Um, And that, of course, is difficult when you're 13 and you're starting, you know, all over basically. And 
you've had all these friends since you were in kindergarten, right? So that was definitely an adjustment. I remember we moved in the summer and I remember crying in my bed every night. Um, just because, you know, especially in the summer, you're not meeting new people or anything, right? Oh, no, what a difficult, difficult yeah. transition. And at that age, too. Yes, yes. Wow. Um, but I would say I'm fairly outgoing. So I made friends pretty quickly and made it through junior high and then went into high school and uh, was a big drama nerd. That's where I met uh, my best friend, Carling. We were in dramas together and things like that. And then I met this group of boys and they were all silly and goofy and funny and cute. And, you know, kind of when you become this group in high school, there's always dating and yeah, like all those things. Right. And well, I like him. Well, I liked him first and blah, blah, blah. But I met this guy named Anthony and he was the sweetest, nicest boy. And I just instantly fell in love. And I remember um, I was actually dating one of the other guys at the time, but I went back home to Ontario and I remember talking to my grandma and I was showing her pictures of, you know, my, my new friends. And um, I showed her a picture of my boyfriend. I was like, this is the guy I'm dating. Um, I was like, but this is the guy I'm going to marry. And so that was, uh-huh. that was Anthony. And so um, we became best friends pretty quickly. We we're probably the only two in our group that actually like, um, went to church and things like that. We were Catholic. Um, and so we kind of bonded over that and we just had the same sense of humor and we were very flirty and, you know, teased each other and things like that. So, um, we kind of went all through high school with just being really like best friends, um, but never dating. Um, and then after high school, we would, you know, make out every once in a while and do those kind of things. But um, (laughs) we, um, we didn't start dating until um, his dad had actually died. Um, And his dad uh, did die by suicide. Um, And that was a big turning point in, um, in his life, for sure. He very much um, pushed away a lot of people in his life. Um, a lot of friends, um, but I was always there and he always wanted me to be there, um, which just felt nice. You know, I just wanted to, to be there. And this was the first time anything like this had ever happened to either of us, you know, like to experience a parent dying, um, was huge. And his parents weren't together at the time, but he still had a relationship with his dad and they would go to church together. They would go to movies together and things like that. So it was, it was very shocking. Um, and, and traumatic. And so we were about 20, let's say 21 or so when that happened. Um, and so we started dating and we dated, um, for a year and, um, just had so much fun together and just, we just were always best friends. We could always make each other laugh and things like that. And then he decided to take a big trip to Australia and New Zealand. And when he came back, he wanted to break up. He kind of had a feeling while he was over there that he didn't want to get married, you know, anytime soon. And he didn't want to have kids anytime soon. And um, that obviously was kind of the direction we were going in. Um, but we were still young, but of course we were Catholic. And so that's kind of the natural yes. progression of it all. Um, and so we broke up and I was devastated um, because not only was he you know, my boyfriend, but he was my best friend, right? Yeah. Sorry, my children are arguing. probably hear that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, that was really hard. And so I kind of threw myself into work. I got a second job. I didn't make myself available to him ever. Like, I was just like, fine. Like, we're done, right? Sorry, yeah. one second. <sighs> Um, so yeah, so that was really hard. Um, but then of course we would find each other again and still had, we still loved each other. Like we still cared about each other and we would still see each other all the time and, um, act like we were dating basically. So, um, 
probably a year. And I, I dated some people and he actually, I don't know if he dated anybody, but anyways, um, but I was working a lot and I knew that that bothered him because he could never just like call me and me would be there for him. Right. So right, right. kind of played a little hard to get for a while there. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> right. But, um, but a, a year went by and I had moved out of my parents' house and I had bought a condo um, and I was living very independently and just kind of, you know, still had him as my best friend, but just, yeah whatever. But, um, he had kind of said to me one day, right after I moved, he was like, I think we should get back together. And of course I was always like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I said, I was going to marry you when I was 16. I so. knew it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <wrong> with you. <laughs> right. Um, and he said, but I don't want to just date. I want to get married. And I was like, okay. So, I don't know if it was the same day or a couple of days later, we went and talked to our parents and it was like, surprise, we're getting married. Like we did, you didn't even think we were dating, but like, this is now happening. Right. So, <laughs> but they all knew, like they all knew that we were, yeah. we were each other's person. Right. So um, yeah, we got married nine months later. And then nine months after that, we had our first baby. <laughs> so right. we moved very quickly. We both wanted kids right away and we both wanted big families um, I only have a brother and he only had a brother. And so we just wanted to just, we always talked about how much we want to grow up together. And, um, my husband was a big kid, right? So he just always yeah. wanted to have lots a plane. Yeah. Yeah. So, Friends. um, exactly. So we had our first and our first was about a year. Uh, we got pregnant again. Unfortunately, we lost that pregnancy yeah. at about 16 weeks difficult and kind of our first major you know very hurdle hard. right and yeah very hard and you know not something that we expected especially because once you get past that 12 week mark you're like okay yeah. we're good right and you don't yeah. really think about like other things can happen and so um that was a very big shock and so but he was always just there you know he could call me down in any moment he could make me laugh in any moment whether it was appropriate or not you know he could always just make me feel better and I'm a much different person now than I was then but I was always very um I could be quick to temper I could be quick to be annoyed I could very easily you know be frustrated and he always just knew how to and he was very even keeled calm person uh it took him a lot to get to the point where he was upset um and so yeah we definitely balanced each other out because i would kind of bring him out of his shell a little bit and he would kind of put me in my place a little bit and you know um because i would say i was the more outgoing one more volatile maybe i would say so definitely yeah. and and you know especially um it was hard because I, a lot of the time was either pregnant or yes, breastfeeding. And so the hormones, I mean, are just insane. Right. And so yeah. for eight years, I didn't feel like myself. Right. I felt like your partner when they don't know what you're thinking or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so it was hard. It was hard because he he had time when I was pregnant and I get it you know I didn't like who I was a lot of the time because I things like that and now that I have the perspective that I have I hate that I was like that you know because for me it's like it's just none of it matters you know none of it matters um so yeah so we lost our baby but then we got pregnant again and we had a little girl and then after that when she was about a year we got pregnant again um, lost that pregnancy and got pregnant again and lost that pregnancy. That was pretty traumatic. Um, I, um, I, I had a little bit of like bleeding the day before and then was like, well, I'll just go to my midwife. Like, I'm sure everything's fine. And you kind of go on Facebook and you talk to other people and they're like, oh, that happened to me and everything was fine. That happened to me and everything was fine. And, but then you kind of feel deep down, like 
I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to be fine. You know, like, I don't think my, my end result is going to be okay, you know? Um, and so that night I woke up and I was basically like a movie, you know, in the, in the bathroom and then fainted and had to phone the ambulance and had to go to the hospital and have emergency surgery. And, um, and that was really hard. And, and at that time I, um, I lost a lot of blood. I needed a transfusion and then I needed to be on iron pills after that. And my energy level was so, so low. I could be good until about 10 or 11 and at AM. And then after that, it was just like, I had nothing left to give. We had just moved. I had two little kids. Um, and not only did I feel defeated physically, but I felt defeated mentally because I'm thinking, why can't, why can't I have any more babies? You know, like yeah. we always wanted a big family and I don't understand what's wrong with me. And, um, I can have kids. So like, why isn't this working? And it's just, it's so frustrating. And you just ask yourself all these questions and you get angry when you see other pregnant people and you wonder why it's working for them and not working for you. And you just become really irrational in your thinking and, and yeah, it's, it's really difficult. So, um, we kept trying. And so I did get pregnant again, um, with our third, who was a little girl and, um, my husband, I, I stayed home full time. Um, my husband worked as a taper and a drywaller and he had his own company and he loved what he did. He was very good at what he did and was very, um, you know, he was a perfectionist and, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to find, uh, reliable people in the construction yeah. field. Right. So all of his, but for him, like his motivation was us, you know, his motivation Absolutely. to keep going and to keep showing up was, was his family. So, um, he just would take every job and a lot of jobs he got were, was from word of mouth because he did such a good job. Um, and so we got pregnant again and, uh, this time around it was crazy. Um, I had gone for a dating ultrasound and I, um, joked with him the night before I said, what are you going to do if I call you and it's twins? Um, because he didn't come with me because I was like, it's just a dating ultrasound and he had to work out of town. So I'm like, it's not a big deal. Um, but it, yeah, it, it kind of was, it kind of became a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So I remember, you know, getting the ultrasound and then I could see, cause I've had so many ultrasounds. I yeah. can see two like definitive sacks. And I was like, oh my. Um, but nobody was saying anything. They weren't, and it was a student, right? So oh. she wasn't saying anything, but I could see what was going on. And so then the teacher came in and he was like, okay, yeah, you just labeled that one A and that one B. Uh-huh. And I was like, is it twins? And he's like, oh yeah, she can tell you. And I was like, no. no. Like, <laughs> so it was just insane I mean to have three and my youngest was not even two and then to know that you're you know almost doubling your family like it's just insane and so I phoned him and the first thing I said was are you okay because he had said when I had asked him what if I call you and tell you it's twins and he's like I'll just laugh (laughs) <laughs> and so when I called him, I said, are you ready to laugh? And he was like, no, 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 no. you're kidding. And I was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> I am not kidding. <laughs> so that was, that was crazy. Um, but yeah, just had a pretty typical pregnancy with the twins. Um, he was still working. I was still at home. Um, you know, my kids were some of them were going to school. Some of them were in playgroup, daycare thing, or not daycare, but like preschool, things like that. Yes. Um, and I had to have them be a C-section because they were both breech. Oh. So he took some time off so that um, we could, we could all be at home together and he could help yeah. out and, you know, all the things that you have to do after major surgery. And yeah, um, yeah we were just good. Like we felt good and we were he was working we were doing okay 
um, you know, we had financial issues here and there because sure. of course it was just him working. And, and you had a lot of children. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of the pressure was on him. And yeah. so those things, I think they're being talked about more, but at the time it wasn't talked about that men could struggle. Yes. And you have five children and you need to work and that's just what you have to do. Yep. And whether you're okay mentally or physically doesn't really matter. You know, you just have to work because if you don't, the snowball effect happens, right? And and everything just goes downhill. So um, we had decided to sell the house that we were living in and we wanted to move to an acreage and we wanted to move to um, a place that was a little bit more affordable and um, where he could still work. And so we decided to move about an hour and a half away from where we were, um, where all of our family and support was. Um, and everybody thought we were crazy because we were literally moving to the middle of nowhere. We were about 20 minutes from a town. Um, but it was what we always wanted. We always wanted to live on an acreage and have our kids run around and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. So it was really a dream and it was really a dream for him too. But um, so we moved there when our twins were about a year and a half and it was a beautiful place. It was a beautiful place. Um, it had a beautiful tree lined, like long, long driveway and a gorgeous red barn at the end and oh. just a dream place. And uh, I mean, the house was nothing to write home about. It was an old farmhouse. Right. But it was just, yeah. my husband had big, plans. He was always thinking about how he could renovate or make things nicer or, you know, he just always had plans. <laughs> so um, we settled in there, but he was still working in Calgary. That's where we were living yeah. before. And so he was commuting back and forth and oh. he did, he was trying to get work in the town. So the town that we had moved to uh, just outside of was Drumheller. Yeah. Um, and he was trying to get work there, but the economy in Drumheller wasn't great. There wasn't a lot of things being built. There wasn't a lot of growth happening. And he had so many connections and ties in Calgary, in Calgary. Yeah. right? Like he, he didn't want to say no to any work. And I was, I would say in our relationship, when it comes to being responsible or not being responsible with money, he was the more mm -hmm. responsible one and I was the more irresponsible one. Um, you know, I would buy things for the kids all the time. I would buy them clothes all the time. Like I very much have always been, I see it. I want it. I have to have it, you know? And he was very much, I see it. I want it. I'm going to think about it for two weeks and, you know, calculate all of my choices. <laughs> exactly. And research and research of this is the right thing and the right product and the right time to buy and the right price. And, I was just like, well, I just want it. So I'm just going to get it, you know? And so we always battled over, over things like that. You know, we would always um, argue about money and spending money and things like that. And I thought he was too cheap and he thought I was too impulsive. And yeah. um, that was hard. But um, I mean, I would say that we probably got ourselves into financial trouble when it came to the business because we weren't properly setting money aside, filing our taxes on time. And he had a very hard time with those kind of things, with the paperwork, with the, you know, and I wanted to help, but I also at the time didn't realize, but diagnosed recently have ADHD. And so I'm not great with organizing things or sitting down and, you know, focusing and, and things like that. So we didn't make a great pair when it came to like the um, paperwork and the book work, right? And like so many couples. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just say that. Well, and okay. it's, it's such a huge monster mm -hmm. when you're starting your own business. There's so it many is. things that you don't know um, when okay. it comes to taxes and the government and federal taxes and provincial taxes and licensing and, you know, all of these things. And all he wanted to do was work, you know, he just yeah. wanted to keep working. Um, so the stress would get, you know, more and more and more. And, um, that was, that was hard. Um, 
So, <laughs> so um, yeah, it was, it was great where we were, but his commute and he would stay in Calgary because we had, instead of selling the house that we were, have been living in, we were renting it out. And so he oh. kept the basement and he would stay in the basement when he was there. Um, and he would go back and forth and be home for a few days and away for a few days. And it was working, but it was difficult. You know, I was home by myself with five children in the middle of nowhere. Um, he was in Calgary by himself. You know, he felt lonely and um, that definitely took a toll on his mental health for sure. Um, I knew how happy he was when he was home because all he wanted was to be home with us. Yeah. All he wanted was to make enough money so that he could be home with us. And so he just kept trying to make more and more, but it, he felt like it was never enough. It was never enough for him to take a break and the work is there. So I need to keep working. I need to keep working. And if I don't keep working, you know, what are we going to do? Right. So that stress was huge. And he didn't let me in on a lot of it because he didn't want to worry me. No, because he so, was a man. And yeah. And so he kept a lot of it in and wouldn't share with me how he was feeling or how stressed out he was. Because he loved you. Yeah. And I I appreciate that, but it's also like, I want to help. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to feel this way. Like, we can figure this out. Um, so that was really hard. And um, and yeah, and so one day he was working in Calgary and uh, he would usually call me at like nine o'clock or so to say goodnight or to talk to me about the day or how the kids were doing. And um, he didn't call. So I called him and his phone went right to voicemail. And in my mind, if I phone you and your phone goes to voicemail, you're dead. Like no matter who you are. Like that's just the way my mind works. Okay. <laughs> because I never turn my phone off ever, ever. Oh, right. And okay. so that's just, I go to like worst case scenario. Right. And so yeah. um, I'm calling and calling and I'm calling our friends and our family to say like, can you drive by the house to see if his truck is there? Can you drive by the movie theater? Cause he would go to a lot of movies by himself. Right. Um, but he would always text me ahead of time to say like, Hey, I'm going into a movie. You won't, I won't be able to text you for a couple hours. Right. But he would right. always let me know that. Um, and, and nothing. And um somehow I went to bed that night, not knowing where he was or what he was doing. Um, but I was able to, on my phone, see his location occasionally because we had, we shared a Google email. Yes. And so yeah. I could see where his phone was pinging. And as I'm looking, he's in the States and I'm like, what? Like, why are you? what? <laughs> and so in my mind, the most logical thing that had happened was he was kidnapped and somebody yeah. was taking him somewhere because there was no part of me that thought he was willingly leaving. Yeah. Willingly going somewhere away from us. Um, and so I could follow along a little bit for a day or so. And then he realized that I could, and he turned it off. And I had, by the next day, I had phoned the police and let them know and, and all these things. And they were able to tell me that he had crossed the border um, by himself. You know, no, they couldn't see anybody in the vehicle. He had his passport and everything. And I'm just spiraling, thinking, like, what is going on? Like, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, what is happening? I was phoning his his coworkers and his boss to say like, did something happen? Like, how was he this yeah. day? Like what was going on? And they didn't really, they didn't know. Um, and yeah, so this went on for three weeks, oh almost shit. three weeks. Yeah. Of me not knowing where he was, if he was dead or alive. Um, the only thing that I could hold on to was that he was checking his emails and I could see that because we shared an email. So every time I sent one, I could see whether it was read or not. Right. 
And so I just kept sending them and kept sending them. And they would go from, you know, what the hell are you doing to like, please come back. Like everything's going to be okay. And then I just got to the point where I was like, what would I be sending him if he was out of town or whatever? And I would, I said, like, I would send him pictures of the kids. So I just kept sending him pictures of the kids every day of what we were doing and what was going on. And I just wanted him to keep seeing those. Um, And I would beg him to go talk to somebody. I would say, you know, just go to a church and talk to a priest or something, right? Like, just talk to somebody. Because I had kind of resigned myself to the thought that he was going to die. That he was planning something and that's why he was there because there was no other explanation in my mind like you're not starting a new life like what are you doing right um and I was able to see that he had gone to like a sporting goods store and a hard like a Walmart or something and when I had seen that I knew that he was buying a generator I just knew that that's what he was doing we had watched uh, 48 Hours um, a couple months before where, I don't know if you remember the case of like Conrad and Michelle, and she had convinced him to end his life. And it was like, it's like a big news thing. And, and she had, yeah. she ended up going to jail because they determined that, you know, she was She guilty. was, yes. She yeah. Was catalyst. Yeah. And so we watched that. And I remember he died by putting a generator in, in the back of the truck. And I remember my husband asking me, how long do you think that would take? And at the time I was like, well, I don't know. Like it didn't even phase me as a question. Right. But then immediately I flashed back to that and thought that's what he's going to do. Um, so about three weeks went by, this was over Thanksgiving as well. And I had his brother out, his sister-in-law and his mom and my parents, and they would, they were at my place like on and off. So I was never by myself. Um, But then I got an email from him saying that he was coming back. Oh. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. And um, so everybody left because they didn't really know what they, they were worried that if he showed up and saw the cars and everything, Everybody. he would leave again, right? Um, but in his mind, he was expecting to come back and everybody be there, including the police. And he thought that he would be taken to, like, the hospital or something. Uh. Because his brother, a, a few years before this, had also left. He was gone for about a week. And when he came back, he was taken to the hospital to the hospital but it was because at the time he had been um he had been talking about suicide and so he was a threat to himself or others and so the police were involved but in our situation even though i knew that that's what he was doing and that's what he was planning he never expressed that he never said that in emails he just said that he needed a break and he was fine so there was never enough information to say to the police like he's in he's in danger over yeah yeah so he came home it was awkward because the kids were excited to see him because they thought he was just working yeah um i'm like shocked right i didn't know what to do what to say no um he said he was like i was expecting there to be people here police here something and I was like, but you never indicated that, that you were going to do something like they couldn't, yeah. they weren't just going to, you know? Um, and he was like, well, I think I need to go to the hospital and me thinking like, dude, I'm not letting you out of my sight ever again. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, and anyways, I just had to let him go because I was, all my kids were sleeping and he needed to go to the hospital. And I was like, okay, like you're going to have to do that. And so he went to the hospital and stayed overnight and talked to some mental health, you know, people in the morning. And they had said, you know, here's some resources, here's some free counseling, Mm -hmm. things like that credit counseling. Cause at the time we, you know, were struggling financially and 
um, we kind of had decided like, okay, we're going to fix this. Like we're going to figure yeah. this out. And, um, and so for about a week, um, he was home and I was home and, um, I would ask him, I started asking him like, are you okay? And he's like, I can't answer that question. Like I'm, I, I just can't. And I was like, okay, so uh, can you tell me on a scale of one to 10, like how you're feeling? Right. One being totally fine. 10 being, I need to go to the hospital. And so he would say, you know, four five, like, so just, I could kind of get a gauge of like how he was doing mentally. Right. And at the same time we were going to like meetings and counseling and things like that. And this was just in the span of a week. So then on the Friday, um, I asked him in the morning after our kids went to school, I said, um, what number are you? And he said, I'm a nine. And I said, okay, we're going to the hospital. So I loaded my three other kids in the car with him and drove him to the hospital. And, uh, we were waiting and waiting. And of course I'm there with two one and a half year olds and a three year old, um, and I was like, okay, he had been, he'd been taken back. And I was like, I'm going to go bring the kids home. Your mom is going to meet me. And then I will come back. Um, right. And as I'm driving home, he calls me and he says, they want me to go to Pinoca and Pinoca is a town and they'd have a mental health facility out there. Yes. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, all right. And I got home and I broke down. And then I gave the kids to my mother-in-law, turned around, went to Walmart, picked him up a bunch of things that he could bring with him, like pajama pants and things like that. Yeah. And it was Halloween that day. So I um, went and got my kids during lunch from the school. And the school and the hospital were like literally across the street from each other. So I went and got them and brought them to the hospital to say bye to dad. And he, um, he went to the hospital and he was there altogether about three weeks. Yeah. Um, he was very up and down. They um, didn't really know what to do with him because they didn't know how to diagnose him. They felt like a lot of it was diminished. Like, a lot of they would say like I don't really understand why you're depressed if you have a wife and five kids and like you have a job and I don't really understand you know why you're feeling the way you're feeling and it's he's like okay but I am so like <laughs> yeah what difference does it make whether yeah. you understand it yeah That's how he's feeling so then he then he felt like should I really be here like why am I feeling you know so they would try different medications and things like that and he was able to come home on like a weekend pass and stuff like that. But um, I had found out later that when he went back, when he was driving back, he wanted to drive into a telephone pole. And so he had told the counselor that and the, the therapist that, and of course they um, changed his medication again and things like that. And so it was very rocky for, for those three weeks, but in the end, you know, they, he came out and he had a plan. Uh, he had a safety plan. He had a plan to see a therapist. He had medication, things like that. Um, he also had like, I think it was Ativan. Is that the one that you take when you're like yes. feeling yeah. out of yeah. control and it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. He had to take that a few times cause he would just start spiraling and hyperventilating and things like that. And so, he was doing counseling. I was doing counseling. We were doing couples counseling and all through this, I'm, I'm lost. I'm like, what is my place? What is where? Because when he came out of the hospital, he was very depressed. He would sleep all the time. Couldn't get him out of bed. Um, and I'm thinking like, what do I do? Do I push him and tell him to get out of bed and do routine or do I leave him? Like what's my place and what is going to make it worse and what is going to make it better. Yeah. And I didn't know, like, I just, I had no idea. And I'm like, nobody prepares you for this kind there's of no, stuff. Like there's no handbook. Yeah. And no. Something that's really important. Mm -hmm. You were also managing five children. Yes. Yeah. 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 My heart I think goes out to you. It's, 
Yeah. My heart goes out to him because there's mm -hmm. nothing worse than struggling with your mental health. Like Absolutely. Yeah. But also you to have the weight mm -hmm. of the whole your world on your yeah. Yeah, it's uh, when I look back on it and I really wonder how I survived it. I really do. Um, because it. You are a survivor. That's how. Oh, thank you. It's hard. And and so a couple of months were going by and, and things were, you know, counseling was going well and things like that. And we had talked about because he he kind of his therapist and stuff in the hospital had said, you know, maybe um, you guys should separate, like temporarily separate. And I understood why they said that because I think for them, his stress uh, came from having a family and working and not being able to provide. And I understand that suggesting that makes sense, you know, Kind of take the stress away so that you can deal with your mental health on himself yeah yeah and so but he never wanted to do that he i would say like should we do this like i don't know how it would work logistically i have no idea yeah. but like for your mental health because i always said i would rather you be here for our children and us not be together than you not be here at all yeah. um so I would say like, should we do that? And he would always say like, I don't want to, like you're the only person who understands me. You're the only person who I can, you know, connect with. And I feel differently when I'm around you. And, you know, um, I always feel weird talking about that because, you know, it's like only coming from me, you know, like, you know what I mean? But, but you were his person and he was yours. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. You know, I just really didn't know where my place was. But um, he started working a little bit here and there. He would, he was working at my parents' house, kind of doing something with their ceiling. And so that was kind of like getting him back in the groove of going back to work and figuring this out. And um, he went to therapy and had said again how he had felt like he wanted to hurt himself. And so his doctor said, you need to go to the hospital. And he ended up going to um, a different hospital in the city and it did not help. Um, it was very much like, okay, here, go, here's a book that you should read goodbye kind of thing. Yeah. And I know for him, he had said like, how long are people going to put up with me like this? Um, and so I think that that next hospital stay was kind of the catalyst because in his mind, he has to work. He has to provide. He can't keep going back into the hospital. He can't keep doing this because he has to work and he has to provide. And I just wish that I could have made him not feel that way. But I didn't know how because he did need to work and provide. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how can you how can you take care of both things? You know, it's impossible. And how can you be a husband and feel and this way and, a person and, and yes and of course you're going to feel this way because when you were the only one working and you were the only one who's bringing in the money and they say money isn't everything it is when you need to support your family yeah. and when you can't do that then what are you supposed to do and so that was the end of February. It's actually my birthday. Um, <laughs> and so he came home and um, everything, we spent the weekend together. He was home and the kids and him had a big snowball fight and we played all weekend and had fun and him and I watched a movie and everything was good. And on Monday I knew that he was going back to, um, he had been staying with his mom anytime he was in the city, not staying alone. Um, and I knew that he was going to go do a job. And so he went to his mom's on Monday and, um, that was fine. We talked that night and we were chatting and he was joking that his mom beat him in a game or whatever. And, 
Um, then the next day I had to bring my kids to an eye doctor appointment, but I couldn't get a hold of him. And I remember earlier that day, he texted me and said, do you need me mm -hmm. home for anything in particular this week? Because if there were appointments or whatever, he would work his schedule around, you know, whether he needed to be home or not. And when he had gone missing previously, the same day, he asked me the same question. Oh. And, um, and that morning, I think, so I know this happens a lot where um, things seem to be going well. Yes. I kind of in my head, I was kind of reevaluating the last couple months. And I thought, you know, because that was October when he went missing and he was, and this was now March. So we were, you know, five months or so. So I was like, okay, it's been five months. Um, things seem to be going pretty well. Like he's going back to work and things seem to be yeah. on the right track. And I was talking about going back to work um, in the fall. You know, I could be a bus driver or something because I could bring yeah. my kids with me and, um, and so I was like, okay, things seem to be going better. And then immediately my next thought was he's going to die. And it's, and it, it was just like immediate. And so that whole day I was feeling, I felt really sick, like physically sick to my stomach and I couldn't get a hold of him. And I was texting his mom and I kept, you know, saying to myself, like, it's fine. He's at work. He's driving. He's busy. He's whatever. Right. Um, right. and then it kind of got to like dinner time and I was texting his mom and said like, is he back yet? And, um, she's like, no, but I'll let you know. And so I went on, um, the find my phone app yeah. and I was able to pinpoint where he was and I sent the location to his cousin. Um, and at the time I was just like, can you just go like, see like what, if you can find him? Yeah never expecting that she would find him um, dead. And so uh, she drove to where the truck was and um, I phoned her back and I couldn't get through to her phone. I kept saying like it was out of service for some reason. I'm like, what's going on? And then she finally phoned me back and she said, um, he's gone. He's gone. Um, and so I guess at the time the police had like blocked her, her phone or something so that she couldn't when, when after they had shown up and um, I was sitting in my room and I just lost it and all my kids came in and they asked me what was wrong. And I just said, daddy died because I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. And it was just awful. I mean, how do you tell your children something like that? Yeah. You can never go back from something like that, you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah, we just went forward from there. and my, my heart goes out to you because what people don't realize at that moment, you're right, you can't go back because mm -hmm. your family ended. Yes, yeah. And you can't know that until you've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So then it was just, you know, phoning people and making arrangements and um, doing all those things. And they're all awful and they're all terrible. And they all just, you just wish that you never have to pick out a casket or a funeral plot or, you know, things that you should never have to do. Um, yeah, so. Certainly not at your age. No, no, no. We were both 35 at the time and, but, uh. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so after that, I just kind of had to pick up the pieces of everything and keep going. Again, I, I, I can't let us go on without saying mm. how I, I totally respect and admire the deep core of survival that's within you. Mm. Okay, you 
you've not only gone on, you've gone on to flourish with five beautiful children. Thank you. And, and done it so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And more than that, you and your friend Carlin have set up a podcast that I think honors your husband. Mm -hmm. It honors you and Carling and is making things better in our world for others. Thank you so much for saying that. That was really the, the whole point behind it. You know, we kind of basically said like, we didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up for this life. And there are so many other people who can say that. And really what we wanted was to be able to hear stories from people who have been through hell and have been through things that you would, could never imagine somebody could survive and then see them on the other side. Yes. You know, because I had friends who lost children. I had two friends who lost their children at, you know, four and five years old. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how, how are you walking around, functioning, yeah. doing anything? And in my mind, I'm just like, but you see that they are, they're still going, they're still here. They're still, you know, and of course they have this awful, terrible trauma and burden and, you know, pain, but they're still, oh, they're still here. And that gave me a lot of hope when I thought about, you know, when I was thinking about the future after he died, because yeah. I'm just like, how do I do this? You know, how do I keep yeah. going? Um, but you do and you have to. And um, I wanted my kids. And of course, I mean, we've, I've had so many ups and downs. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, healed by any means. Oh no. Um, but I just want my kids to see that we can keep going. Like despite this, we can keep going and we can keep moving forward and our lives are going to be hard and sad. Um, but we need to keep going. And, and that's just what and we're there trying will to be do. Joy. Uh -huh. And there yeah. will be happiness and there will yeah. be fun. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can, I can laugh, I can joke, I can have fun. I can do all those things um, despite the pain. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, that was the whole thing that we wanted to do with the podcast was just yeah. to be able to share. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of podcasts or television shows or things like that, they talk about um, big stories or, or yeah. um, big headlines or things like that. For us, we just want to talk to everyday people who have been through something because every single person has gone through something. Yeah. And we just talk to everyday people who have gone through something, either an accident, a loss of a child, a spouse, um, cancer, mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. And just share, share your story and share how you've survived it how you are now, you know, and, and they're so like inspirational. I mean, some of the people that we've interviewed have been through like catastrophic accidents or injuries and they're incredible. Like they just, you know, you would think that out of anybody, like they they would be, it would be valid for them to just give up and they don't like, it's just, it's amazing. And it's inspiring. And it, and it, makes me feel like I'm not alone in, in my grief and I, I can keep going and it gives, it just like, I feel, feel like every episode is like a mini therapy session. <laughs> Absolutely. You can take, you can take sustenance yes. from, from the stories they're sharing with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so we just love, we just love doing it. And that's part of why we're here, because because we believe the same in in sharing our stories. Yeah, um, it, it does show that there is light. Yeah, and I know that you know you, your children are as you said now between thirteen and six. Six, yeah. 
and they're going on with their lives. Children don't have the same understanding of time mm -hmm. that adults do. Mm -hmm. So it's really commendable for you to go to the lengths you've gone to, to go on with them. Mm -hmm. Because part of why I tell stories and part of, I believe, why you do is to help the people that maybe aren't as resilient. Right. People that right. think they can't do it. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when you hear that somebody else can, it might give you that little bit Absolutely. of impetus for you to go further. Absolutely. And to also not um, assume how you're going to feel if it happens to you. Because I remember, I always talk about this, I remember watching, a, it was a movie with Sandra Bullock and her husband died. And I remember she just laid in her bed and couldn't move. And I remember thinking like, that would be me. If this happened to me, I would yeah. be locked in my room and I would never come out. Well, that was the complete opposite of what happened to me, you know? And, and, and you never know how you're going to react or how you're going to be or how resilient you really are until you're in that situation. So, you know, you just can't predict. No, no. How, how things are going to go. And, you know, I also, we also share these stories to help people who maybe have never been through, you know, a tragedy yes. or things like that yeah. to kind of show them. And if, you know, if they've got friends or people in their life who have gone through it, then they can understand um, the other side of it and understand. Yeah how they can help and how they can make their friend feel better or you know encourage them or things like that too so it's just yeah it's there's a lot and of different also, aspects yeah, and to also it. for people to understand that everybody reacts differently yes to everything. yes yeah. there, there is no there's no set of five steps or or four visages or you know, a certain emotions. It just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. Everybody's different. Yeah. I, I remember my counselor telling me that grief is irrational. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no explanation to grief and why it makes you feel the way it does or why you could be going along and having the best day. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, like there's just no explanation and the more people understand that, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And do you share stories with the kids of you and your husband and yeah, his yeah. hopes for them? Yeah. I mean, we talk mm -hmm. a lot about dad and, you know, his favorite movies or his favorite food yes. or what he used to cook and things like that. And he's still very much a part of, um, our day-to-day -day lives. Um, I have only so far shared with my older two um, that he did die by suicide. Um, I've always said that it's never going to be a secret um, in yes. our family because I feel like that just brings shame and it feel and it makes yes. them feel like if they're struggling that they shouldn't reach out for help or anything like that. So for us and in our family, you know, counseling and therapy and getting help is like the number one. All my kids are in therapy. I'm in therapy. You know, it's just like, yeah, just, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a given in our house. Um, but, um, you know, the younger ones are still not quite there, I think, to kind of comprehend what it yeah, all means. Yeah, very young. And I'd always said similar to, you know, telling them that he died. Once I say it, it has to be dealt with immediately. Yes. It can't, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just has to, there's just gotta be a, a plan. And I, I, you know, I talk to their counselors about it and when and what the right time and things like that to, to communicate it with them. So um, I'm just kind of, uh, I, with my older kids, the timing just kind of worked out where in the moment it was just the time um, but I haven't really run into that yet with my younger ones yeah. um, because, you know, six and six and nine is still quite. It's still very young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I don't know if you and I talked about this before, but 
I just want even children to be able to talk about the sometimes not good thoughts that we have about mm -hmm. ourselves and know that it's okay. Yes. So I want the yeah. shame and the secrecy to end. Yes. Because that's how we beat this beast. Yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot with to my kids about my own mental health struggles. You know, I have depression. I have anxiety. I take medication. I am fully open with them about those things. Um, my oldest also struggles with depression and, and takes medication. And um, it's, it's not a secret. It will never be a secret in our family. Um, I remember when um, my husband's dad died by suicide. Yeah. Um, he had counselors telling him and his brother, you know, now that you've experienced somebody dying this way, it could uh, become an option for you, you know, once, and, and you would think it would be the opposite. You would think that if you lose somebody, you would never do that because you know what happens to the people who are left behind, but it almost becomes, you know, different where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, if I'm feeling that way, there's a way out and you know what I mean? And so my children are at risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I will do everything in my power to stop this here. Yeah. And we're and not going why, forward and doing this anymore. And and that's why I want it on the table. Absolutely. Because it's in our family. Mm -hmm. I lost my friend and that her her life turned out to be the worst best gift that I could be given. Mm -hmm. Because in, as much as it became an option for me, it was an option on the table all the time. Yes. What she had done and how we felt became the thread that kept me in the, the quilt of life, if you will. Right, right. So there's, there's always those two sides. But yeah. Taking it out of the closet, out of the silence, out mm -hmm. of the and yourself yeah yeah i i um i didn't struggle um with depression for like prior to no him dying so i did have a hard time kind of understand i did struggle a lot with anxiety but i did have a hard time really understanding it and relating to it um i mean i i I never diminished it and I never made him feel, you know, bad for feeling the way he was feeling. But um, after he died and I struggled with depression, um, you know, and I never had any suicidal thoughts or anything like that as at all. Um, but I really could put myself there and I could really get to the point where I understood, however crass this sounds, I understood the appeal. Yes. Yeah. And that is not crass at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I really did understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. That way. Yeah. That way. I really did. Um, and so now I, I feel like now I can understand a little, it a little bit better. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it gives you more empathy with others when you can understand something a little more deeply. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that we end on a, a more upbeat note. Yeah. What's uh, in the future for you and the item you sign up for this podcast? Mm -hmm. For the kids. Yeah. Um, we just want to keep putting out episodes. We've been doing it for uh, just over two years now. We have over 130 episodes. Um, we just love, love talking to people and hearing their stories. And um, we, our format is very casual. We don't do a lot of prep work because we want it to come out as naturally as we can so that we're almost hearing it when our audience is hearing it. And we're asking the questions that our audience would want to ask um and that way people can frame their story however they want they can start it however they want and speak in their own words 
Um, and we've got, I mean, we've got interviews lined up all the way until November and we're just going to keep on trucking. And uh, we encourage anyone who wants to be on our podcast to reach out to us. And because every story is important and um, whether you feel like you have a story to share or not, I can guarantee you that you do and that it will resonate with somebody. Um, and just for me and the kids, I'm just going to keep working as hard as I can to keep us afloat and keep us going and keep our mental health in check and, um, yeah, just live every day. On that note, mm -hmm. I totally agree. That's wonderful. I thank you so much, Michelle, for being thank my you. guest today. Thank you for asking me. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's been wonderful for me. Thank you. I'm Elaine Lindsay. We will have all of Michelle's links and all of the information uh, in the transcript of the show. And as I remind everybody, every time I pop off, is make the very best of your today, every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.